The following podcast is for healthcare professionals only. All views expressed belong to our speakers and don't necessarily reflect those of Nestle Health Science. Hello and welcome to Inside Medical Nutrition Podcast, a podcast powered by Nestle Health Science and hosted by me, Dr. Lini Patel. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Harriet Farr, a pediatric team lead, and we are discussing the consideration of a blended diet on a budget. Welcome to the podcast today, Harriet. I'm really excited to talk about blended diets. And with the cost of living crisis that we're experiencing at the moment, I'm looking forward to discussing how dietitians and parents can adapt their practice and the advice that they're giving. Before we dive in and talk more about that, I know you've come on the podcast before, and I've had the pleasure of discussing blended diets with you and how that works in terms of a multidisciplinary team. But could you just introduce yourself to the listeners, please? So my name is Harriet Farr, and I'm a a paediatric co-mental feeding dietitian. And Harriet, what got you into dietetics? I always loved cooking when I was younger and I really enjoyed being around people. So I first went to university to study sports science. I was quite sporty and I played a lot of netball in my younger years. I thought I always wanted to do something around sports nutrition. I really enjoyed the element of sports nutrition, but I realized that quite early on um, that I, I like also the chemistry side of nutrition and also I was quite good at maths at school and I liked doing lots of sums and calculations. So I took some advice from the careers people and they said that a dietitian would be quite suited to the aspects of maths and chemistry and food that I enjoyed. So that's what first led me into thinking you about trained, a career in dietetics. Yeah. So then you trained as a postgraduate dietitian, right? I did, yes, at Leeds Beckett University. So I did a two-year postgraduate diploma in dietetics. Okay. And then your early career, what did that look like? So I started off as a Bansai rotational dietitian at Bradford Teaching Hospitals and I worked there for five years in different roles. So when I first started, usually when you first qualify, you do your, you work, tend to work in adults and you do a rotational post. So covering main areas of dietetics, things like stroke, oncology, care of the elderly. And then I was lucky enough to be seconded to paediatrics. So I always knew that I wanted to be a paediatric dietitian. And I was very lucky in my training. I I got some experience at the Great North Children's Hospital in Newcastle. I knew early on sort of where I wanted to be in my career. So when I did my year secondment in Bradford as a paediatric dietitian, it was mostly general paediatrics, allergies, looking after children with celiac disease. And then I also had a small caseload of home mental feeding patients, which is where my love for this area started. And I also did some work as well with the IBD population. So looking after children with Crohn's and colitis. Okay. So that's how I first got into paediatrics. My secondment then came to an end and I did a hepatology and IBS role for a period of time. Goodness. Uh, so I worked with liver patients and people who struggle with IBS and lots of work around the FODMAP diet. And then I applied for a job at West Suffolk Hospital, which is near to my home. And that's where I still work today okay. in a paediatric role, working with mental feeding and neonates. So that's sort of my experience today in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. And so I guess with, within your current role at the moment, you work extensively with blended diets. 
Yes, I work, the majority of my caseload is pediatric co-mental feeding. And on, on our caseload, we've got several lots of children, lots of children on a blended diet. Before we go talking about blended diets a little bit more, now I know in season one, we did a number of podcasts on blended diets, but we just do a quick summary. What is a blended diet? And when does somebody need to use a blended diet? And what does that look like in practice? Is it just food blended or are there other options as well? Yeah. So in terms of a blended diet, it's using real food ingredients and blending them to make sure that they're a suitable consistency that they can be given by a gastrostomy tube. In, in the UK, at the moment, they can only be given by a gastrostomy tube. That's the only type of tube, and they have to be a certain bore width in order to be able to administer that. So that kind of encompasses what a blended diet is. In terms of other sort of ways that patients can get feed through their tube, so we have a commercially made feeds that are ready yeah. made in a factory. And some of these feeds now have been developed to have food-derived ingredients as well. So for parents or families and patients, perhaps might not be able to do a full blended diet where all of the ingredients made from scratch in the home. They, there are still patients that we have on a commercially made feed with some food-derived ingredients, but we're still seeing the benefits of having that small amount of actual food in a feed. That's really improved symptoms, reflux, vomiting, growth. Um, and I think for parents as well, knowing that their child is having food in their diet is a really positive thing. As a dietitian, we have lots of tools in our kit. We can work with patients so that they have a bit of fully commercial feed and a bit of blends. We can use a feed with and food-derived ingredients alongside blends. So whatever's going to work best for the patient to make sure that they meet their nutritional requirements, we can be quite flexible. How do you support parents and children on a blended diet? The role of the dietitian is quite involved for children who are on a blended diet. So there's lots of lots of ways we support families. So we liaise with sort of the medical team and the wider multidisciplinary team first off to make sure that a blended diet is the right thing for the for child yeah. and to make sure that everybody that I work alongside with as well as the family are happy for a child to start a blended diet. And once we've been given the go-ahead, I would provide families or carers with some information about possible benefits of a blended diet, so how that would potentially help their child, how it might improve their quality of life and their symptom management, yeah. but also make them aware of some potential problems that can arise with the blended diet so that they're aware of things that might not quite go to plan or some of the risks that are involved in giving a child a blended diet and how they would manage these if they were to crop up. Uh, how to safely prepare a blended diet at home or if you're giving a blended diet in a different community setting like a school, how to make sure that is safely transported and safely mm -hmm. stored. Also how to administer a blended diet. What are the practical things we need to, oh, they need yeah. to know about in order to be able to give the blended diet, particularly because a lot of patients have been on a commercial feed, say, for a long period of their life, and they might have used a pump to administer that. So when we use a blended diet, we give it via a syringe. So that's a different practical skill that they might need to learn or a different way that they need to, would be a different way of working and ways to think about. So it's all of those kind of 
practical things we talk no. about. I would look at a child's nutritional requirements and how much of a blended diet they would need in order um, to make sure that they still grow well and still mm. get all the vitamins and minerals that they need and to ensure that they're getting the right amount of calories, the right amount of protein. So that's my role as a dietitian. All of those things we really need to consider and work through when yeah. we think about starting a patient on a blended diet. Yeah, that's great to know. As parents, it sounds like, are very obviously involved in the administration of giving blended diets to their children. So what, in your experience, what kind of support are parents and carers particularly looking for from dietitians? So you talked about nutritional, making sure obviously that their diet is nutritionally adequate, but you also talked about practical elements of it. So what are parents usually asking for support? In my experience, for a lot of parents or carers, it can be quite a big change for them and can be quite daunting as well, going from having a child perhaps who's been on a, a commercially made feed for many years, you're then doing quite a big change in terms of they're then actually having real food in their diet. So I think it's talking through that with them initially and making sure that you spend time talking about the possible benefits, things that might not quite go to plan. So that they have a really good grasp and a really good understanding of what a blended diet is and how that might help their child. But also being realistic with them in that does require additional time mm. in terms of preparation. It will require additional cost and a bit of pre-planning in terms of making sure that they have enough time in their kind of day-to-day -day life to be able to prepare a blended diet for their child so that hopefully everything will run smoothly when they do start that. So. I think um, parents do just want to really know what the reality of a blended diet mm. is and just want honesty really about. I think a lot of people really like the idea, but everyone's really busy and everyone's got busy lives and, and family life is quite hectic sometimes. So it's more about how is it going to fit into their child's life and what is the impact day to day for them really. So I think... That's something that they often really want to know about. And yeah. they'll ask me, how do other families manage this? How does it work with other families? How do they fit it into their day-to-day -day life? So just being really open and honest and upfront about other kind of people's experiences, I think they find that quite helpful. In terms of other support that we give, often parents don't really know where to start with a blended yeah. diet because they've never had to think about giving their child a meal as such yeah. in that. The feed that they give is nutritionally complete. It's got all the vitamins, all the minerals, all the protein, all the calories have been calculated to make sure that hopefully it meets the requirements for the child. A lot of them don't really know where to start. What food should we give our child first? Yeah. How do we start a blended diet? Do we go straight into giving them a normal sort of family meal, yeah. like a roast dinner? Or, you and know, how does or do that we work in practice, Harriet? Gradually. So... In my experience, we start off quite gradually. It would be a huge leap to go from having a child on a, a commercial feed to then suddenly having three blended diet meals a day. So usually we start off very gradually. And for most patients, I'd start off pretty similar to weaning. Even if they're not a weaning age, we would just start off with some vegetables to start with. So maybe it's a very soft like root vegetables. So things like maybe carrots. And then some sweet potato, some squash, some parsnip. So just start off as you perhaps would weaving yeah. and then you might mix flavours together, add okay. a little bit of butter or a little bit of cream to start getting the patient used to, to those particular foods. Just gradually build in foods from there, depending on how they tolerate those initial foods. 
So we then might start adding in some fish. We then might start adding in things like some very soft meats like chicken or very slow cooked pork or bean, mm. depending on what the family has usually within their kind of day-to-day family foods. Uh, yeah. We very much try to, I try very much as a dietitian to adapt it to family life so that it can, it's an extension of what they're already doing. Yeah, so like, they're not doing more work, the cooking lots of separate meals exactly yes and I think that's a lot of the reasons parents want to start a blended diet for their children is that they want their child to be able to enjoy what they're having at the meal table and be able to sit alongside their siblings and have the same meal so I think a lot of our kind of groundwork is to talk to the families about what they usually have in the home what their meals are like and then work with them so that they can adapt those meals mm. to make them suitable for a blended diet and gradually build on that. Yeah. Uh, and it seems to be, in my experience, the most successful way to introduce a, a blended diet gradually over time and sort of little steps to get to that end goal where they're hopefully able to have a full blended diet really for all of their meals and snacks. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, I want to shift the conversation a little bit because the focus of this podcast today is talking around blended diets on a budget. How do you feel the cost of living crisis that we're currently experiencing at the moment is impacting some of the patients that you're working with? I think it is really impacting a lot of our service users from all areas, all walks of life, all ages. So I think as dietitians, we need to be really aware of And I think it's difficult for parents because a lot of them are really reluctant to stop the blends Mm. because they've seen such an improvement in their child's symptoms in terms of reduced reflux for a lot of children, reduced vomiting, improved growth overall, improved bowel control. So these are all really positive things. As we all know, it's difficult when you're parents, you're trying to juggle lots of things Mm. and having that additional sort of financial stress can be really difficult and I suppose when you're thinking about a blended diet for your child, that is an extra cost to your, I mean, because it's an extra person in your family to feed. So I think it has affected a lot of people. And I think as dietitians, we just need to be really aware of that. I think even the cost of base ingredients, things like milk, butter, cheese, yogurt, all those things that we would use a lot as part of a blended diet, even those things have increased massively in terms of Mm. cost so I think that has obviously impacted a lot of our patients as well so from a dietetic point of view I think we've had to work really closely with these families to try and support them to carry on with a blended diet and see if we can find practical ways that they can use in their day-to-day family life that's just going to help reduce costs and just make continuing the blended diet a bit more manageable for them so that they don't have to stop it because that would be for a lot of families the worst case scenario and they've come so far often with getting their child on a blended diet and it's seen so many benefits that going backwards would be such a shame and so heartbreaking So, yes, so we've tried, in my role, I've tried to support families to to be able to carry on with that. But Harriet, what would be really good is if you could give me some practical experiences of how you've helped parents adapt what they are providing their children in terms of blended diets at home. Yes. One of the things that I've talked to a lot of parents around is their sources of protein in the blends. 
so often parents would automatically think meat, fish, they're really good sources of protein and that would be a go-to from that side of things. But often they can be much more expensive. I suppose my role as a dietitian is to educate parents and carers of children on a blended diet about cheaper alternatives for protein sources. So things like beans, pulses, chickpeas, lentils that can be used to bulk out the blends, but also have that benefit of providing a good source of protein. But I ask, with beans and lentils, is there an effect in terms of more gas production? And is that an education that you also do in terms of the parents? Because if someone is not used to eating beans and lentils and has that much fiber in the diet, surely that would have repercussions in terms of their gut as well. Yeah, definitely. I think it's one of those things that you would have to manage so you can make these suggestions and then see what the impact is on the bowels and if a patient is finding that's difficult to tolerate or they're becoming increasingly windy with those particular foods then you know you might have to re- rethink that and try other things or maybe try less or you might give them less frequently so only a couple of times a week or you might give a smaller amount split it throughout the day it's difficult until you try these things to know yeah, cool. uh, the impact would be but for a lot of our patients, some of them also really struggle with sort of constipation. So having some additional fiber or adding some fiber into into the, uh, the diet can be a positive as well. So I think until you try these things yeah. uh, from a clinical point of view, you don't know what the symptoms they might cause and you have to manage as you go along. Yeah, um, no, but the fantastic um, choice because they are inexpensive they're not as perishable you can buy them dry or you can buy them canned as well so there's different options right yes definitely and I think that's something else you have to think about as well is a lot of meat and fish it's got a sort of sell by date or you have to store it in the freezer and defrost it whereas things like beans chickpeas lentils pulses you can buy those in bulk they're non-perishable and often when you buy things in bulk they work out cheaper as well so there's benefits from both sides of using those ingredients yeah and how about if we move to another food group you talk about enriching the diet for example so adding more calories butter and cream but as you're saying some of the basic ingredients like that are increasing in price so what are other budget-friendly options and alternatives that you're suggesting to your patients so I think in terms of, it's quite difficult because they are a lot of the staples that, that we do use. Sometimes we advise that patients add a little bit of olive oil as well. Um, but see, that's gone, everything seems to have gone up in yeah. price. I think in terms of a lot of the things that we would advise to fortify with. So historically, we might have suggested things like avocado or mm. cream, coconut cream, those particular types of foods. They are working out quite expensive and things like milk and butter and cheese and like soft cheeses and those Mm. cotters those things they are still a little bit less expensive so we would encourage parents to stick those things like mayonnaise peanut butter as well as dietitians we don't encourage we don't advise particular brands so a lot of sort of the supermarkets own brands in terms of the calorie content yeah provide just as much yeah. uh, from a nutrition point of view as a branded product would so yeah we encourage patients they are struggling with the cost of certain food items it doesn't have to be branded they can use a supermarket own brand it's absolutely fine yeah so it's, there's an aspect of knowing what foods to buy is what I'm hearing. And then there's another aspect of also other tips, for example, planning ahead, buying in bulk, knowing that you can buy own brand products and they'll be just as nutritious as the other ones. Are there any other 
particular areas in terms of budget-friendly ideas that you think that other dietitians need to consider to share with their patients as well? So I think cooking from scratch can be much cheaper. So sometimes when families start their patients on a blended diet, they might use a a bit of a hybrid of home-cooked meals, but also they're out and about and they're busy. They might use like jars and pouches, which, you know, as long as they've talked to the dietitian about that and they meet a child's requirements, that there's a place for those, but they are also very expensive and compared to cooking from scratch. So what we try to do is to chat to families and maybe talk to them about recipes that they enjoy as a family or a similar recipe that mm. they would have bought as a pouch and how we can replicate that in the home and adapt the recipe to make it suitable yeah. for a blended diet. So that that's one thing that we can work towards helping families save on the cost. So you mentioned things like menu planning, so planning ahead, writing maybe like a menu for the month and then thinking about when you do a food shop, what you need to buy to be able to mm. make those meals. Writing a shopping list is always really handy. So when you go to the supermarket, you know what you need to buy. So you can can sometimes help you stick to your budget a bit better. Yeah. And then when you buy things in bulk, if you can, what we would say is they're often you can often buy things in bulk. It means that they're, the ingredients per gram can work out cheaper. Yeah, But then you can do some batch cooking as well and store things in the freezer overall. That, that's a kind of cost saving because you're buying in bulk, but you're also only having to use your oven or your electricity or however, yeah. you know, your gas or however you cook things once because you're cooking a big batch. Yeah, But it also then helps you as a family sort of day to day because if you've got things already in the freezer stored, then yeah. that, can really help just with busyness of family life because sometimes things get a bit hectic don't they we don't always have time to cook meals from scratch every day yeah so all of those things I think it's just taking the time really to talk to families what their worries are what's working well what's not working well and how we can support them to carry on with the blended diet but in a way that's going to work for them and I'm guessing Henry, there's also some myth busting going on because one of the things I always hear is, for example, you're telling me to eat fruit and vegetables, so I must buy them fresh, but actually frozen being just as nutritious and very often more cost effective than the fresh counterparts. So it's like oh, small tips like that. You're also talking a lot with the carers, right? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, we'd really encourage frozen fruits and vegetables. And again, they can be stored in the freezer and they're non-perishable. So it's, that means that you're having less food waste. But also a lot of supermarkets now have introduced like wonky vegetables and they're mm. often quite cheap or yeah. much cheaper than your perfectly vegetables or class one vegetables. So because we know that these vegetables are going to be blended down anyway, mm. the appearance isn't so much, isn't as important. So, you know, if they can save money by having wonky vegetables or vegetables that are class two or not perfect, then that's another way that you can think about about saving cost as well perfectly imperfect exactly (laughs) so Harriet before you mentioned recipes that you give to the patients that you work with so what are your top resources that you tap into to get information that you can share so we dietitians a lot of us use local resources so we might write or develop them ourselves so I know in our department I've created an information sheet about how to support families who are on a blended diet during the current cost of living crisis. So that's something that you might get from a dietitian. 
some of you might have seen on the Talking Tube Feeding website, I recently did a presentation around how to um, budget for a blended diet during the current cost of living crisis as well. I signpost families to that so that they can listen to that and pick up any practical advice or hints and tips that, that might be useful to them as well. And I think just, I suppose, through my experience and working with other families, you build up a bit of a toolkit really and a real understanding of what is happening out there and mm. you might find that what something might work for a particular family and then you can recommend um, that practical advice to another family yeah. uh, just really sort of uh, tailoring your advice really to, to each patient and just making sure that you really focus on the support that families need at the time yeah and do you have any examples success stories of people you've been working with where they did raise the fact that obviously they're feeling the strain of the, the fact that we are in a cost of living crisis. And then you've given them some tips and actually they're still able to continue with the blender diet. I think it's difficult. It's one of those things. It's quite difficult to talk about sometimes, particularly yeah. to, to your dietitian. And I think for a lot of people, finances are a worry, but they don't always feel perhaps comfortable talking with the health professional about that or they don't necessarily feel that they can't always be open yeah I think no one's outright come to me and said I'm really struggling I'm not going to be able to carry on with a blended diet because I'm not able to afford it but I think sometimes when you do patient reviews you read between the lines is you can see that it is difficult or there is some financial um, strain without explicitly having yeah. to say that to you so I think it's, again, it's just being really in touch with your families and really understanding the situation for a lot of people and just in a really sort of organic way, talking through things that are working, talking through things that aren't working and making them feel comfortable so that without them necessarily having to feel that they have to tell you something that you might be really difficult to share around yeah. the financial struggles, you can still be able to support them just by having those kind yeah. of conversations. No, because it's really hard to admit. I think any of us would find that really difficult to say, actually, I'm really struggling with my finance. That's a really hard thing to, to say. And I think it's just as dietitians being aware of that. Mm. And, and taking the of, initiative to already mm. say, we all know that we're living yeah. through this. So how you know, can we empower yeah. us? Exactly, yeah. yeah. That's a really good tip. We're coming to the end of this conversation. You've already given one brilliant tip about just the fact that we need to be much more aware already. What are the other three take-home messages that you have for dietitians, but also for other listeners out there in terms of working with patients with blended diets and particularly on a budget? Yeah, so I think as dietitians, I think we have a responsibility to be familiar with the other sort of support that's available to families. So by that, are there food banks in your local area that you could signpost people to? Are there any grants that are available in terms of could you, is it if you're patient really wants to continue on a blended diet and their blender stays packed up or they want to start a blended diet but they can't afford you know to spend several hundred pounds on a blender to be able to do a blended diet is there anything out there locally that we can source some funding or a grant to be able to help them purchase the equipment that they need so all of those sort of things I think it's really important as dietitians that and tune with sort of local support and that we could sign post families to Okay. And I think we've already touched on this during the podcast, but just to think about ways as dietitians that we can support patients. So thinking about 
as dietitians, can we develop resources with practical advice that can be given to parents? Can we do things like podcasts, presentations, all these things that people can tune in and listen to where they can get that practical advice yeah. that, that cover all those topics around money saving, batch cooking, menu planning, yeah. uh, recipes, all those little tips that, that might be really helpful. And I think as dietitians, it's just making sure that we are, we're really busy and we're, all of us are really stretched at the moment. And sometimes we don't feel like we have, have the time, but I think it's just making sure that when you do a review, it's you just set that time aside to really spend with your families and make sure that you really listen to them yeah. and spend time talking through anything that is working well or isn't working and how you can support them so that they can carry on doing a blended diet. Yeah, no, those are some fantastic and really practical tips. Thank you very much for your time and thank you very much for your expertise. I've always loved conversations with you. So thank you so much for coming onto this podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Medical Nutrition. If you enjoyed the podcast and found the content useful, please share it with your colleagues and consider subscribing so you never miss an episode. For more information on this topic or to share your feedback, please visit the Nestle Health Science N Plus Hub or click on the link in the show notes.